Support for Healthcare Americana comes from Freedom HealthWorks. With Freedom HealthWorks, physicians, employers, and patients can thrive in direct care. Visit FreedomHealthWorks.com to start your journey into direct care today. From Freedom HealthWorks, it's Healthcare Americana, a show about innovators, idealists, and pioneers in healthcare. I am your host, Christopher Habig, CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks, a direct care accelerator helping physicians across the country start and manage their DPC clinics. Today's guest is Tom Yakupin, National Marketing Director, New Era Health Plans. And I wanted to start off reading you a quote of Tom's. We educate the consumer about free market medicine, including DPC and cash pay facilities, as well as offer forward-thinking insurance alternatives to the traditional model, end quote. The reason why I wanted to start with this is because it is a profound statement in today's benefits world. Now, Tom, when talking to brokers, in this overarching mission of yours to kind of re-educate the market, what does that conversation look like? Yeah, it begins with really discovering where the broker is at. And what I mean by that is not unlike the consumer, uh, you know, a lot of brokers are frustrated, uh, meaning that they are tired of offering the same proposed solutions year after year or every so many years that seem to merely be putting a band-aid on a situation that that appears to be unsustainable you know just kicking the can down the road so you know usually when i when i talk with an agent or broker that is in the healthcare and financial services industry i look for people you know who are forward thinking you know what do you think about healthcare today um, what, what do you think about the cost of things? What do you think about the price of insurance or the Affordable Care Act? So I like to begin with just conversations to determine where that professional is at, you know? Um, yeah. did, what do they see as a solution, you know? Uh, and to be frank with you, hey, a lot of brokers, like a lot of consumers, don't know and don't care, okay, you know? And obviously, th- those aren't people I- I'm going to want to spend a lot of time with. But, yeah, you got uh, to pick your shots and understand where they are, kind of their professional journey and if any of them have done kind of that introspection into their profession. It's interesting when you talk about broker incentives and I want to get a feel. So when you talk to the brokers or agents, I guess, where are they? Are they in big agencies? Are they running their own shops? Are they consultants? Are they self-employed? Give us an idea of who exactly uh, these people are so we can kind of get an idea of their profile. Yeah, sure. And and that's a great question. So New Era Health Plans, you know, I'm a, a field marketing organization representing Philadelphia American Life Insurance Company which is, um, you know, a boutique company, you know, it's not well known, we're not, you know, Cigna, Aetna, uh, you know, any any of the big guys, but, um, you know, it's a forward thinking company. And we are looking to onboard agencies, large and small. uh, And I would say that we have men and women contracted with my particular division of the company from Delaware to California, that uh, are all over the spectrum. Some of them are virtual agents working out of their homes. Others, uh, I have a a friend in Southern Illinois that has, you know, a traditional brick and mortar agency that has sold car and auto and and health to farmers and agricultural business for 50 years in his community. But 
Um, you know, it's all over the marketplace, really. Uh, people that choose to affiliate with, contract with us, become appointed to represent our particular product portfolio, and therefore really allow me the privilege of educating and influencing them. So it's quite an, an interesting mix of, uh, from large to small agencies. But I would say the average agent or agency is the typical mom and pop group. Now, when you're talking to them and saying, hey, we have this really cool kind of revolutionary idea happening and it's a model that doesn't necessarily deal with insurance, but then they could, you could say, look, you can save your actual clients a lot of money. When that term client gets brought up in a lot of these discussions, what do these agents believe, who do they believe their clients are? I would say that most agents look at their policyholders, their small business owners. Again, I'm looking for brokers and agents who tend to market to the self-employed, the small business owner, the family, you know, people that tend to pay for their own benefits uh, and, you know, are not part of a large union or a large group. So typically we're in that market space. We're looking for people in that market space, 50 and under, um, and so forth. And they tend to look at their clients, their existing policyholders, certainly as their clients, but then also many of them want to grow their practice. They recognize that there's a lot of people in the self-employed and small business uh, uh, workspace or market space that are disenfranchised, that are feeling pain, right? High premiums, high deductibles, especially those people in the working middle class that are not getting federal subsidies when they go to the marketplace or uh, you aren't a part of a large group or union. Right. And to me, coming from where we are and where I sit, Freedom Health Works, and we try to work with businesses, a lot of brokers or healthcare benefit people end up being roadblocks to cheaper benefits, um, cheaper access to medical care, really. You know, of course, this is one thing we always talk about on the show is that health insurance does not equal medical care, right? Right on. When you have these conversations, and, and, and this is kind of coming from personal experience, do you find that the incentives are totally screwed up from where an insurance agent wants to grow their business, yet they also want to have that duty to their client to save them money? I mean, is that a zero-sum game? I don't know that it's a zero-sum game. I think that there are a lot of uh, virtuous people out there that, that are, uh, you know, they really want to help people. They get to know their clients. They like them. They, uh, you know, they live in the community in most cases where these people, um, you know, are doing, in doing life, right? So uh, I don't know that they look at it as a zero-sum game, but I think the, the virtuous men and women recognize that people are hurting, and one of, one of the ways that I typically engage these individuals might be in a discovery format where I bring them to the point where doing the same thing over and over uh, is really a form of insanity. And, you know, how many of your clients are ready for change? How many of them are looking for a different result? And are you looking for a different result, bringing us to the place where, uh, we all agree that doing something different, therefore, must be part of this equation. Are you ready to talk about what is that difference? How can we make a difference in their bottom line? How can we set up a different risk management strategy? How can we 
educate the, the consumer in a radically different way, including cash pay and direct primary care physician and more. Absolutely. And it's those types of alternatives because it always seems like, you know, if you're a small business and, and again, speaking from personal experience, we say, hey, we want to be able to take care of our employees, but we're getting saddled with these huge costs. What can you do? And many times a traditional broker uh, will go out there and say, you know what, good news, instead of 15% increase, I got you a 12% increase. Right. And I'm thinking, scratching my head thinking, well, that's not looking out for my best interests here. And it is so refreshing, very, very exciting, you know, to have this conversation and say, look, there is a, there is a counter movement going on within the health insurance world that people realize, you know, I'm being paid by Anthem or Sigma or some of the big boys based on the book of business that I'm bringing them. How do I actually get paid by my client to deliver value for them? And so that's what, you know, I get really excited about. And it's totally different mindset, right? You have to change your mindset completely from a broker and from a business owner standpoint. You do. You really do. And again, you know, uh, brokers, even in our space, you know, they are selling products that are commissionable. Therefore, you know, they're paid uh, by the vendor, whether it's Philadelphia American or a Christian sharing ministry that perhaps incentivizes the broker. But fundamentally, you know, what we're attempting to do with the consumer who comes to that broker and says, ouch, it hurts. You know, I don't like my health plan. I don't like my premium and I don't like the trend. What do I do? You know, many brokers, what they have done in the past, right, is look for, okay, well, there's another plan very similar to what you have. It's a different color, it's a different logo, different name, but fundamentally it's the same chassis, right? So a lot of brokers just keep flipping the switch and putting people back in the same old, same old, same old, and buy them a year or two reprieve from the pain. But what we're saying is that is an unsustainable model. What we're saying is let's address that uh, from the ground up and talk with consumers who are ready for a difference, who are ready to take responsibility. And let's introduce them to a completely different model altogether that might not include uh, traditional major medical at all. Yeah, and, and you're so right. I'm kind of sitting here laughing and, and I'm like, it's kind of like a shell game, right? It's like, well, you don't like this over here, but what about this one? And it's, it's like you said, it just kind of builds on itself. It's a big wheel. It's a perpetual motion <laughs> kind of a thing. So talking about this, and you brought up consumers, and, and I do want to spend some time talking about that. But before we leave kind of this, uh, the conversations you're having with a lot of these brokers, and I kind of term it, you have to re-educate some people. Yes. Shift that mindset. What do you find is their eureka moment? Is it something you say? Is it a catchy slogan? Is it them being chewed out by clients for not saving money? Like when do they, when's that light bulb coming on and saying, sure. holy cow, this is lunacy. Like you said, this is insanity. This has to change. What's that moment? Well, I, I do think that, that uh, just like the consumer has certain pressure points that are bringing them to a place where they're willing to hear uh, a different strategy, a different alternative. I think many brokers are feeling the same pain. You know, they're feeling pain from the blowback, perhaps from their policyholder, small business owner, consumer. Uh, 
um, hey, you know, it's not working or I'm getting the same results. So there's, there's that pain. I think, as I said, the virtuous ones are actually just as frustrated, perhaps, as the consumers uh, who are just as frustrated in many cases as uh, the primary care physicians or, or professionals in the health care side of things who are uh, quite fed up in many cases with big box insurance or corporate medicine. But, you know, that broker, obviously, it's a timing issue. You know, they have to be willing to own up to the fact, as I did, you know, and let me just backpedal for a moment that I remember being introduced to a brief video on, I think it's Reason TV, that introduced me to Dr. Keith Smith and the Oklahoma Surgery Center. I don't think I would be exaggerating by saying I've shown that brief video a thousand times. Uh, since being introduced to it. You know, it's on YouTube, Oklahoma Surgery Center versus Obamacare or something along those lines. But it's about seven minutes. And I, I think it sets the stage for the broker and the consumer to really look at what are we doing? You really don't know what you don't know. I mean, I was taught traditional insurance stuff, right? Solutions, models, whatever, thinking that, hey, this is a great career it's an integrous business. We're in risk management. I like what I do. But from 1988 to today, it's dawned on me that there are certain trends in the United States, the biggest of which is health care cost, right? Which that video really exposed me to some ideas that I simply was not aware of. I, I was not aware of uh, that there was a cash pay facility such as the Oklahoma Surgery Center. I was not really aware of the billing debacle, you know, price transparency versus the very convoluted system that I've become quite accustomed to over here with, you know, um, you know, bogus pricing, whatever, benchmark pricing or charge master pricing and then secret, con you know, agents and brokers in many cases, you know, we just grew up accepting this. And I like to find that man or woman who's willing to uh, to eat, is, is it the red pill or the green pill? You know, you kind of give them both. That video tends to ferret them out uh, fairly well. And their response to it has been fantastic. And the men and women that are bothered by this trend, that realize that actually what we're doing in many cases by continuing to install these uh, products that obfuscate the pricing and the billing and the problems in the healthcare delivery side of things and the corporate side of things, that, that is, that's actually just propping up this um, unsustainable mess, you know? So, um, so I, think, I think a lot of brokers and agents are figuring it out. Um, they want to work in that middle market, that small business arena, and they're looking for solutions and that's where we come in. Yeah, very powerful. And uh, we'll go ahead and find that video and link it uh, on the uh, on the website here for this episode. Excellent. Here. It's a great video. And uh, well, yeah, and, and we've had a longstanding partnership with the Free Market Medical Association and Dr. Smith and his team and all, all the cool stuff that they're doing there um, as well. And, you know, you brought up a term risk management. And yes. to me, that is the definition of insurance. Thank you. But in your opinion, does health insurance have anything to do with risk management in our current system? From the standpoint of it paying benefits to offset a claim, I suppose that one could argue that it does. I would say that philosophically, I believe healthcare 
fundamentally begins in the kitchen, you know, and that there's a lot of personal responsibility in managing risk. I think the, the very first line of defense outside of the things that individuals can control is the next a great relationship with their primary care physician, which I think is under attack in the United States of America today from many sides. But I hope that answers your question. But but risk management is a lifestyle. It's a philosophy. It's setting things in order from choosing the water over the Coke or the apple over the Snickers bar, right? Exercise over excessive uh, a couch potato. That's risk management. Buying a financial product to keep me out of the weeds financially if a catastrophic heart attack or accident should occur. That's part of risk management. But uh, certainly a relationship, an ongoing quality relationship uh, with a primary care physician, I think, is a, a huge part of any risk management strategy. Coming from the direct care space uh, ourselves, we kind of lament the fact that primary care physicians over the past few decades have totally vacated some traditional roles of that you know, primary care physician should be occupying, such as you know, health coaching is a multi-billion dollar industry now. All that used to be at the physician level, right? You talk about your mental stress, you talk about your physical problems, you talk about emotional, you talk about your family, you talk about all this kind of stuff. <laughs> And they just had to vacate that either willingly or unwillingly and gave it up to some of these larger conglomerates and insurance companies. And then, oh, the insurance companies turn around and start buying physicians' practices. They start owning hospitals. Um, you know, the incentives again, and, and you look a couple layers deep and you're just kind of scratching your head saying, how in the world did it come to this? But um, to take a step back there with one of the things you just said, you know, in treating insurance as a financial tool. I love that. Very strict, very, very simple definition. Insurance is about risk management and it's a financial tool. Too many people, again, confuse health insurance with seeking medical care thinking, well, I have to have insurance to get medical care, right? It's a travesty. You know, in the 90s, I lived in Cincinnati and really was digging in and growing uh, my own organization at that time. They moved to Chicago and then back here home in Pittsburgh. But I think in the 90s when, when we first, is when we first began to see this uh, definition of terms become, I don't know, um, bastardized, if you will, or blended or uh, misrepresented. And that is, you, you know, during the, the Clinton days, you know, you, you would hear healthcare crisis in America. You'd see it in the newspaper. You'd see TV interviews. Right. And then they would immediately switch from healthcare crisis to talking about a health insurance scheme, whether it was Hillary care or whatever. And, and the next thing you know, the nomenclature or the verbiage uh, in the country is health care, health care plans, you know, and health insurance all kind of being the same thing in the consumer's mind. And I can tell you that at a free market medical association convention several years ago, I saw, you know, several direct primary care physicians in a room and one of them on the back of his T-shirt said health care is not health insurance. And I, I, I went and introduced myself to that particular doctor and, 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 and you know, began a great conversation. Um, uh, but, but that's a challenge. Health care has nothing to do with health insurance, right? Health care is what, what you can do, right? Again, with, with better choices. Health care is what your 
primary care physician, your surgeon, your anesthesiologist, your dental, your oral surgeon. That's what they do. What I do and what brokers and agents do is we're dealing with licensed products, you know, that are our financial tools, again, to keep people out of the weeds financially. Uh, and in some cases, I think these health care products, especially the new designs, which are radically different, by the way, from what I was introduced to in the mid 80s, 85 through 90, you rarely heard of an HMO or PPO, never heard of an EPO. Back in the day, insurance products merely indemnified the consumer, but there was no real relationship between the financial institution and the hospital or the doctor. Today, we have, you know, horrible examples such as where I live in Pittsburgh, where you actually have an insurance company that kind of owns its own hospitals and de facto owns doctors. I mean, so the people writing the checks are ultimately the shot callers in many cases as it relates to care. It's, it's horrible. Wow. You know, it's like you can't unlearn this. I can't go back, but I don't see any good coming out of it. But uh, that's an interesting conversation to have with both broker and consumer. And I think a lot of people are waking up to this um, cozy relationship that seems to be diminishing the quality relationship that one had 20 or 30 years ago with their primary care physician. You know, uh, my doctor is a DPC provider in Cannonsburg and, you know, um, she's, she's intimated with me privately how that, you know, in, in the corporate environment, 80% of the time typically was wasted, was, was not invested in patient care. It had become billing, coding, compliance, whatever, 20% with patients. And then of course the quota the amount of visits and all of this was, uh, it was very stressful. And by going direct, this same physician has flipped that model where now 20% of her time is invested on running the business and 80% in patient care and her joy and happiness is through the roof. And by the way, as a patient, I'm benefiting financially I'm sorry, I'm I am benefiting financially, but I'm benefiting physically and mentally because when, when I go in with this doc, it isn't a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am visit. This is a doctor who's gotten to know me. This is a doctor who gets in my face and has about eating too much. Or, Tom, remember I said it's a couple of glasses of wine, not a couple of bottles of, you know what I mean? But, but really, that's what, it's like you said, the coaching. These are important factors that I believe have been lost, uh, perhaps are being rediscovered, but they have been lost in our traditional, the corporate system that has been foisted upon the American people over the last 20 or 30 years. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, hearing a uh, kind of a testimonial from a DPC patient such as yourself about all these virtues of it, you know, that's very powerful. Um, I, I did kind of shake my head here um, when you're talking about the, uh, the, the insurance company that are locally that owns the hospital and yeah. controls all the decisions. And I keep thinking, you know, I don't know why people thought that physician owned health centers were a terrible idea, but yet sure. insurance owned the people that can deny claims Hello, right? really put people in financial stress here. I'm like, <laughs> you're saying, you're saying that those kind of, kind of the, the oligarchy of insurance companies are going to have the best interests in mind yet, my primary care physician can't own a piece of a surgery center that is providing great quality. I mean, it's got lobbyists and special interests written all over it, doesn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. You know, um, uh, I, I had a, a meeting with quite a few brokers virtually earlier this year, and uh, Dr. Smith was kind enough to sit in on that and share some of his insights, which I, I love when he speaks. And, and, I, and I must posture and say that with all that I've learned over the last five years, I still consider myself a student. But, you know, he, he tends to use terms like cartel, okay, which actually pretty, pretty aptly describes that relationship. But I'd like to share with you a story that, that I shared with him, and that is obviously the last name Jacopin, you know. Uh, it, it, it's not, it, you know, like Smith and Jones, but my father's father came over from the Austrian-Hungarian Empire years ago and was a coal miner in a small uh, suburb of Pittsburgh, PA. And when he came over, he couldn't speak English, was happy to be here, uh, got a job as a coal miner, lived in a company house, worked for, you know, the company, right? Mined his own coal, set off his own blasts, and was paid per coal car that he filled up. Wow. It was a pretty interesting relationship. But he was paid, Chris, with something called company script. And I don't know how many of of our listeners will relate to this. He wasn't even paid with Federal Reserve notes or, you know, true currency. He had a company job working, uh, you know, living in a company home, paid company script. And that company script, Chris, was only good where? At the company store, okay? Mm -hmm. Where the prices were rigged, right? They were fixed. And I said to Keith, Dr. Smith, I said, that kind of describes to me the relationship that many people have with their current medical plan. They're buying an expensive, clunky uh, medical insurance product that looks like a mortgage payment oftentimes. It has a big high deductible and it's really only good at the company store where all the prices are raised. You know, so I see no win in that at all, you know, where, you know, that individual goes and, and um, perhaps they've been prescribed to have a CT scan or an MRI or any number of tests. And, you know, uh, and, and maybe they're being billed three or four or five thousand dollars, getting a little discount because they shopped at the company store. But in fact, they could go across town with the right tools and education and get that same deal for $500 or $350 instead of $3,000 or $5,000. But, but that's how I see this game that's being played. And people are buying it because brokers are endorsing it. And what I like to do is get in broker spaces about this and challenge them on the fundamentals of this relationship, especially those brokers who, who actually look at the trends in healthcare and the trends in freedom and freedom of choice, and who don't like the trends but continue to peddle the same status quo, the same products over and over, uh, somehow thinking that you know we're doing anybody a favor. You're getting fired up, and I love that story, by the way. So thank you for sharing it with us. Thank and that you. is that is so relevant and so powerful, and and it is. And you know, I'd counter that. The only difference there in your example is that he might have actually seen the prices in the company store. Right. Rather than they, they were marked, I'm sure, but, but they were certainly rigged. And yeah. you're right, that, that was rather an than, advantage over. <laughs> yeah, rather than it depends. Wait a minute, what, what, what do you mean it depends? How, how is that a price? Gosh, what, what a great comparison there. So how do you take this to the consumer? You know, because I, I think we've, we've talked about the brokers a lot and, yeah. 
it seems like a lot of them use what we're talking about from either a direct care or an incentive switch to go out and get new business. I haven't really found anybody who wants to put that into their existing book of business yet and interrupt kind of kind of the good life, what's going on there, but everybody's very interested in it. So is the push going to be coming from the consumers? And if yes, how are you getting that message out there to, again, re-educate consumers to actually care about where their health healthcare dollars go? Yeah. Well, again, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you an example. I had a, I have a gentleman that's been with uh, our organization for about a year and a half, going on his second year with us. Very new in healthcare, was uh, focused primarily on life insurance, um, came to one of our boot camps that I put on out in Utah, flew from Arkansas to Utah, which told me a lot about his character because he wanted to learn. He knew a little bit about what I do. Um, but at any rate, in, in about a year and a half to two years, he has become, I think, a trusted voice in his neck of the woods in the state of Arkansas, including uh, doing radio interviews, uh, has, has been invited to speak with uh, political leaders in his community. Because, you know, what I'm challenging brokers to do is approach lead generation and, and growing their practice completely different. And let me share with you, for example, so this particular broker, you know, we teach them to employ various uh, uh, outreaches to the community, radio, direct mail, go to seminars, talk with anybody who will talk with you about health care in America. Now, again, note, I'm not saying health insurance. Let's talk about health care. What are the problems? What are the tr- challenges? How do people feel about the ACA? What do people feel about, you know, Obamacare versus Trump care? What do people know? You know, whatever. Get, get your phone ringing. Uh, and, and, and by the way, it's relatively easy if you're a healthcare broker or uh, an insurance broker to get your phone ringing. I mean, you know, people know we have a challenge in America. So what I would counsel this gentleman is, is, is this, when, when somebody rings the phone, they, let's say they call an ad from radio, they, they call them up and say, hey, I heard your ad, uh, you have alternative solutions to save us from 25 to 50% or more on our monthly premium. You know, I'm a small business, husband, wife, three kids, we have two employees, we're getting hosed. We're fed up. I'm ready to cancel what I have. They're unhappy. I'm un- There's nothing good happening here. How can you help? So, so, you know, what I teach brokers to do is find the pain, okay? And that's relatively easy. And then let's discuss what are the drivers of the pain, okay? How, what do you have now? How long have you had it? What did you do before that? Which is probably the same exact type of thing. What did you have before that? And what did you have before that? Um, you know, et cetera. And we bring them to the place where I think, just like the agent or broker, where I want the consumer to realize that fundamentally, if they keep doing what they're doing, they're going to keep getting what they're getting. So the question becomes, do you like what you're getting? When those people say no, then I say to the broker, then you must ask courageously and honestly, are you willing to change what you're doing? And here's the thing, a lot of consumers aren't because changing what you're doing means getting involved uh, personally, you know, and we might recommend, for example, starting uh, with that patient provider relationship. Are you familiar with direct primary care? Uh, We might uh, introduce them to the concept that it is no longer enough to buy an insurance product and just go file your claim and hope everything works out okay. It's not working out okay. 
It's not going to work out okay. What I need you to do, Mr. or Mrs. Prospect, is get involved in the process, recognizing that I think Dr. Marty McCary is quoted as saying 60 to 70% of health care in America is non-emergent. Okay, are you willing to shop that non-emergent care? If so, I can teach you ways to save thousands of dollars, but you must be involved. You must be proactive. You must take responsibility. So we begin with fundamentals. We begin with the patient-provider relationship. We begin with taking responsibility in a non-emergent situation and then simply buying catastrophic uh, insurance or hospitalization insurance for, you know, the unlikely things, but, but perhaps, the, you know, the very real things that could rock somebody's world, whether it's a significant illness or, or ailment. But fundamentally, it's bringing them into the game and saying, look, this business of buying a product offered by a third party who really doesn't care about your long-term well-being. You can't just, you can't play the game like that anymore. And if, if the consumer is willing to change, then, then our solution will in all probability work for them. If not, then you probably just need to pass and look for another consumer. That's what we're teaching brokers to do. We're teaching them to educate them, but also to qualify them, recognizing that not every one of them is going to work in our scenario. They're, they're, they're not all ready for it. Right. Right. It is. Again, we talk about change of mindsets. I mean, that's a total revolutionary idea to bring that up. You know, everybody wants to focus on that. We just kind of colloquially call it the hit by the bus scenario. Everybody wants to focus on that. And then, like you said, you know, I would almost challenge you on that 60 to 70% is non-emergent. I've heard that that less than 5% is actually emergency care whether people abuse ERs for minor sutures, colds, coughs, whatever that is, unfortunately that happens. So looking at the massive amount of healthcare needs and that non-emergent, yet the spotlight always goes there, right? Maybe we're negative people, pessimistic people by nature thinking, well, when shit does hit the fan, (laughs) something bad really, really happens to me, what do I do? What are my options? And I'm sure you hear that a lot. What's your response to them? Well, I mean, again, uh, we have various solutions depending on, uh, you know, that person's, uh, their way of life. But I would say to an individual, uh, I have catastrophic measures in place to protect my assets should something bad happen to me. Um, I can suggest some of those to you, Mr. Prospect. And if that's a concern, I can say I, I share that concern. I think it's prudent that especially, again, keeping in mind my client, my broker's client usually is the productive, self-employed, the small business owner. You know, they're usually that rugged individual, you know, kicking butt, taking names, trying to, you know, live, love, leave a legacy, build something. So they typically do have something to protect, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, so I can relate to that. But I go back to, uh, it is my opinion that the traditional solutions, you know, that are available on healthcare.gov or that are uh, being sold as comprehensive major medical, that that those solutions are actually, uh, in in many cases, more challenging than the cure is more expensive than the problem in most cases, in which case it it simply doesn't make sense anymore. 
You know, like when a guy calls one of my brokers and says, hey, I'm paying 1500 a month for a bronze plan that's embedded with a large deductible and coinsurance. When you add all those numbers together and then you realize the guy's 55, he may be doing this for the next decade and you annualize and then add up all that cost and say, you're buying this to mitigate the risk of a catastrophic loss. But Joe or Sally, the truth is over the next 10 years, you're basically going to be paying in premium potentially in cost. It's self-assured destruction. If you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to have a catastrophic loss, okay? <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, and that's the point many people are at. They're like, God, you know, I'm not winning. I can't win with this scenario, Tom. Is there a solution? And there is. there are solutions. There are many of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are your uh, what are your personal opinions on high deductible health plans? I know there's kind of two camps emerging right now. We find we talk to a lot of people that are like, I have a high deductible health plan, but I don't have enough savings to cover my deductible anyways. But I still have to pay my premiums. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> well, well, the challenge. See, I think fundamentally a high deductible health plan is a great idea. Back in the day, pre-Obamacare, I built an epic uh, distribution channel when I lived in Chicago, selling a high-deductible, catastrophic health plan, uh, underwritten by a billion-dollar, kind of an off-name brand company. But it, it, was, uh, it was akin to the philosophy of buy term and invest the difference, which was um, championed by A.L. Williams, and frankly, it revolutionized the life insurance business. So I think it makes a lot of sense. But what happened with Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, is that these high deductible health care plans, they have been saddled with all these mandated benefits to where the price or the cost benefit analysis is no longer working. You know, back in the day, we could sell a $5,000, 100% catastrophic plan to a family for about $300 a month, $350 a month. Okay, that made sense because then, you know, they could put whatever five grand in the cookie jar. They were self-insured from the bottom up and they had catastrophic protection from the top down to, you know, a threshold they could handle. And my philosophy to most people would be buy as high a deductible as you can handle. Okay, pay as little premium as possible. Keep your money, put it in the cookie jar. That would be that was our philosophy. And I mean, it resonated with brokers and agents and it resonated with consumers to where um, we were selling millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. Why? Because it made sense. You know, you didn't even have to be a good sales rep to do it. It just made sense to thinking people. But today, those high deductible plans, maternity, pediatric wellness, pediatric, they're, they're just clunky, expensive products still. I don't, I don't see that they're really performing the way I would like. Um, I think that there are some high deductible Christian sharing plans. Uh, we have some products out there now that have they're non-comprehensive, but we're, we're packaging products between a basic hospital surgical plan and a catastrophic wraparound. Uh, the catastrophic wraparound, for example, might have a $25,000 deductible, okay? Now, that's affordable, you know? So, so we're able to build some solutions for the mom and pop, the self-employed, the individual outside of that traditional model that address their needs, concerns, and their budgets. But it's it's, it's quite different. The other thing that's challenging for the broker and the consumer is it's not necessarily easy to quote and explain. It takes time. It takes about an hour for me to sit down with a consumer or a broker 
can really thoroughly educate them about the various levels of protection that I have in my plan and that I might recommend you have in yours. So once again, if people aren't willing to, to change, if they're not willing to embrace personal responsibility, if they're not willing to learn and listen, they're probably not my client, whether they're a broker or a consumer. But for those who are willing, we're, we're, we're helping advance, I think, a forward-thinking model that is saving consumers thousands of dollars, while at the same time bringing protection uh, that will keep them out of the weeds financially, God forbid, something major happens. No, that's great. That's great. And just to clarify, I think you said a, a, a deductible of 25000 on that wraparound plan. Did you mean 2500 on that? Nope, 25000 25000 Now, and listen, we have some plans that have deductibles up to 100000 okay? Why? Because in some cases, Chris, what we're doing is we're installing a basic hospital plan that might pay up to 100,000, you know, in a basic environment, hospital, surgical, room and board, et cetera, et cetera, for basic care, outpatient stuff. But if something major should happen, catastrophic accident, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, you know, cancer, heart attack, after 25 grand, we would pay 100% in addition to the basic indemnity product that is you know, more of their day-to-day care. What's interesting with this model, and I'm, I'm not even going to try and present it to you in, in, in this fashion, but what's interesting, interesting is that we're actually combining various layers of protection to where the bigger the bill, the less the consumer would pay out of pocket for covered expense. It's quite, it's quite interesting in contrast with the opposite, where the bigger the bill, the more they pay, you know. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So theory being that if you're going to have a high enough deductible, make sure something major is happening because everything else could be covered or shopped around for the best prices. And there are a lot of options out there. You just have to dig a little bit. And, you know, we had a previous podcast and uh, the guest shared something just brilliant. He goes, you know, healthcare is the only industry where we make it harder for people to find information and buy. Nowhere, no other industry do we make somebody force them almost to research as much as we do in healthcare to make a qualified buying decision. And I'm like, you know what? That is so true. Think about buying chewing gum, going through the impulse uh, section, you know, checking out or even walking into target and looking at everything, you know, what, what these things are, but healthcare, I mean, could you imagine walking in trying to buy laundry detergent and then you have to make three or four different phone calls to try to figure out, which one's good and then talk to multiple people and daisy chain all the way down it. So I thought that was profound and it kind of echoes what we're saying here is the, the easier you make it and able to explain some relatively complex functions of risk management and a, a financial insurance product. It just doesn't have to be that hard, but there are a lot of places, a lot of kind of institutional status quo that are entrenched in this that don't want it to change. Right. So Tom, last question for you here. Do you find your work rewarding? Oh, man, I love what I do. I do. <laughs> I, I'm 59. Um, you know, I'm, uh, for me, I'm in the twilight of my career, but I feel like uh, I'm passing the torch to some great people. But I love what I do. I love who I work with. Uh, at this point, you know, I come in to work every day pretty mission-minded. Um, you know, financially, I'm doing well, of course. But, uh, you know, I think about, 
you know, what are we doing? You know, what are we really doing? What am I really doing in this great industry for this great country? How am I giving back? And I love what I'm doing, man. I just do. And, and furthermore, I love our country. And, and I feel I'm very motivated because I realize that people are being ripped off. People are being lied to. I remember, Chris, what it was like when I had four kids at home and was working my butt off every day to make ends meet. You know, and I think to myself, what would it have been like then to be saddled with some of these big high premiums that uh, the government was at, at one time mandating? Now, of course, the individual mandate's gone mandating people to buy. What, what would it have felt like if I w had learned a way to maybe save my family five or $6,000 a year? And, and, and frankly, that, that motivates me because uh, you know, there's a lot of people struggling to make ends meet. And if we can show them a better way, by the way, you'd mentioned this, people are feared. People have been feared into this business of health insurance. And, and they've been feared into it by government. They've been feared into it by big insurance. They've been feared into it by brokers and agents. When in fact, you know, I was just reading the H-Cup database recently, where I think for 2017, some of the most expensive hospital data reveals that, you know, $12,000 hospital stays about average uh, in America. So it, it's the exception, not the rule for people to need that double lung transplant that you hear about that wipes somebody out. But I go back to, I love what I do and, and I'm learning and I hope to, uh, to improve the quality of people's lives, both brokers and consumers coast to coast by sharing free market ideas. Tom, I appreciate that. So Tom Jakobin, National Marketing Director, New Era Health Plans. Healthcare Americana is powered by Freedom HealthWorks, managed by Melissa Turpin, produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro. Send us your thoughts at info at healthcareamericana.com. I'm Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. There comes a time when the man of the house must take charge. Family planning is a tough conversation for many. And at Happy Dad Vasectomy, we understand that decision isn't easy. When your family is complete, our no-needle, no-scalpel, no-stitches procedure will give you peace of mind about your family's future. Happy Dad Vasectomy conveniently books appointments within two weeks of calling and has locations in central and northern Indiana. Visit happydadvasectomy.com to learn more. Happy Dad Vasectomy, the easiest part of family planning. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. And hey, if you're interested in becoming a sponsor, let us know that too. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.